top of the morning. I, we can really kind of spread out. I was going to say, can we kind of move in towards the middle? But, um, ah, whatever. <laughs> it's, great. it's great to be with you. I do welcome you. My name's Rob, if you don't know me. And uh, Pastor, yeah. And uh, it's just—it's really great to be here. And I'm just thinking, wow, wow, it's December. <laughs> Where did that go? It's Advent already. <sighs> go on and tell me. How many of you have done all your Christmas shopping? <laughs> One person. <laughs> Actually. It's quite true. If you ask that question, like, on the last week, <laughs> on Christmas Eve, you ask people, there's usually people milling around trying to, ah, I've got to catch it, I've got to do that thing, I've got to get that, that present. I'm, I'm quite lucky, because I, I tend to only have to get one, <laughs> and, and she sorts the rest out. <laughs> she, yeah, she's good like that. So we're entering into Advent. It's a great, great season. We're looking at how we can kind of spend some of these weeks together um, leading up to Christmas, kind of pushing back, resisting, kind of pushing back on all the craziness of the season. You know, it can get really mental, can't it? Um, and we kind of want to come back and say, well, let's remember what Christmas really is all about. It's where God, the creator, enters into his creation through his son, Jesus. And also to that, the word Advent, you know, it, traditionally it's translated from the Latin Adventus to the word coming, arrival, the, the arriving. Um, but actually, if you look at the word, that Latin word, it's got kind of connotations which take it a bit further than that. It's kind of like the arrival of someone of extreme importance. It's somebody who of you know tremendous um, grandeur um, and, and authority. But even more than that, Adventus it actually refers to invasion. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Invasion, I find it quite interesting because you know, being part of a kingdom of God movement, <coughs> it really does conjure up this more of a, a, an image of God breaking into the world. He's breaking in to rescue us. He's breaking in. And that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating God breaking into the world. He's invading a territory which is under the control of Satan, under the rule of Satan. And he's breaking in in order to bring his hope and his peace and his joy and his love. And this is, I mean, it's kind of significant, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) that's fairly significant that's a big deal so much so that to celebrate it with just one day just isn't enough you know I mean we celebrate that every day but you know at least for this month we're going to celebrate that uh, and remember that and look back and see how we can together you know joining with thousands and thousands of other churches around that are also preparing our hearts to receive Jesus afresh Again, you know, into our lives. Again, we're just pushing back with that um, hustle and bustle and craziness and focus our attentions on this majestic king of the cosmos that entered in 
to creation in order to seek and save that was lost to Satan um, and his kingdom. So we started off with a reading this morning. We don't normally do it that way, do we? We we had the Bible reading this morning. We were looking at Matthew. In fact, this whole series, we're kind of camp out. We're going to camp out a little bit in in Matthew. And um, it's not going to be like sermon style. Okay, so apologize if you kind of here thinking, you know, I want that sort of multi-pint sermon, something to take away. Well, hopefully it will take something away, but it's going to be more story. I don't want to tell a story uh, or a series of stories. See, Matthew, um, when he was writing the book of Matthew, because Matthew wrote Matthew, did you know that? <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, <laughs> I give you that for free. Um, Matthew wrote Matthew, yeah. Um, but he wrote, he wrote to the Jewish people in order to highlight a whole series of prophecies that are taking place. Some of which were like um, 500, 700 years before the events were taking place. And so he's kind of pointing the, you know, to these, or he, he reminds us, if you like, of these Old Testament prophecies that point to the birth of Jesus. And, and kind of, in a way, he's like writing to these to, to the Jewish people, and he's kind of like saying, "Come on, guys, you should know about this. This should not catch you by surprise. It's no surprise to you. You should know all of the prophecies. You shouldn't be ignorant to all of this." Now, I find that quite fascinating that the details of Jesus's arrival into history were spoken about by numerous people, some of them centuries before the event. I find that really compelling, really compelling. I mean, we're not just kind of saying spurious sort of, you know, we've heard um, so-called prophecies or predictions of things, haven't we, in our modern day? Um, How many times have it been predicted that our world's going to end? You know, time and time again, people say, ah, it's next year. And the Mayan calendar, you know, it comes to an end. It's 2012, wasn't it? I don't know if you've noticed but we're still here. <laughs> you know, so many people, they predict all these kind of world events, world-changing events, world-ending events, and they tend not to come to anything. But I think this is what makes the, the Christmas story so fascinating. It's, it's, it's amazing. Because the event that we read about in Matthew, it's really quite peculiar in the swirl of what's going on within the Middle East there at the time and yet the religious professionals like the keepers of the law the keepers of the prophecies and the sacred texts and things these Pharisees and Sadducees they just didn't see it they completely missed what was happening and they knew all the the prophecies they knew it all now here's a peculiar thing surrounding that story that's what I want to talk about this morning you know um those of us who have been around the church for like a hundred years or more, or at least if we've grown up within the UK, we've heard the Christmas story so many times, haven't we? And we've heard the stories, we've probably told the stories ourselves, and then it's like it comes to this part of the story and then all of a sudden these, these magi dudes turn up. And it's kind of like they turn, they're out of nowhere. Well, it says they're from the east. They were from the east, weren't they? And uh, 
And they kind of enter the scene, as it were, and they're talking about this king that's going to be born. But who on earth are the Magi? Who are they? I don't know if you've stopped to actually ask that question. Who are the Magi? I mean, most of us, as I say, we've heard the stories, we've told them. Um, but if I was to ask any of you, can you come up now this morning, just you know, talk, you know, it's a 10 minute slot, I just want you to talk, say anything you know, everything you know about the Magi. They did a cooking sauce. So, um, that weren't quite 10 minutes, but, but it was a start. But, <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm saying? We would struggle to fill 10 minutes, uh, five minutes, of talking about these Magi people. I guess we'd, first of all, we'd probably describe them as three men traveling around on camels, right? Funny hats and so on. Um, then there's all these confusing ideas about their racial origin. Some images have like an African guy, you know, or, or some images are all white guys, you know, or, or, or whatever. Um, but then we sing the song, don't we? We three kings of Orient are. Oh, what's that? Does that mean they're Chinese or Indian or something? What? Who are they? I'd say probably the majority of us would have to put our hands up and say, do you know what? I don't know anything about them. I have no clue. I don't know who they are. You see, and this is a little detail within Matthew, which he includes in the Christmas story. It's re- there's a real interesting twist in this. And the religious professionals, as I say, they just seem to miss that. The scribes, the Pharisees, they missed this strange detail of these magicians, because that's you know the root word, magi, comes from the same word as magicians, and they were kind of stargazers, sorcerers from the east. They've traveled, and some would argue anywhere up to like three, four months or more, they've been doing this traveling, having interpreted events through studying the stars and hearing prophecies, <coughs> and they're coming about this king. Now what's, <laughs> it's quite funny actually, quite bizarre, but Ironic, then, is how they actually go about the task of trying to find out where this king is being born. They walk up to King Herod, of all people, and they're like, hey, uh, King Herod, okay, we're, we're looking for the new king. <laughs> His reaction is probably, yeah, hello, <laughs> it's me, I'm here. And they're like, no, 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 there's a new king going to be born, and we're out to look... Look for him. So I'd imagine that was why he was quite disturbed by, by this, quite insecure. Actually, there are really, um, there was quite a few interesting things going on here with these Magi people. And I hope that they kind of challenge us this morning to think about how we kind of preparing our hearts to encounter Jesus afresh in this um, season. You see, although we don't know a great deal, we don't learn a great deal about Magi in this uh, particular passage, they do appear elsewhere in the Bible. Did you know that? There's numerous uh, accounts of them uh, that appear in ancient documents, even outside of the scriptures. Um, so, you know, we can know, we can actually know some more about them. And when we understand a bit more about them, we'll see just how interesting, how bizarre this story actually is. So what we've got to do, we've got to start winding right the way back 
to the Old Testament time. Remember the Babylonians capturing Israel and all that, taking them into captive. This is like uh, yeah, 600 years before Jesus uh, came around. Israel, again at the time, they've been like really disobedient with, with, uh, towards God. And they've been warned numerously by the prophet Jeremiah. And you can read some of this at the end of Jeremiah and the book of Daniel as well. Um, they've been disobedient. And Jeremiah has come and warned them like for 23 years. <laughs> He's constantly come to them. Watch out, guys. Stop sinning. Repent. Turn around. Stop re- you know, worshipping false idols, false gods, and so on. Stop with your wicked ways and turn around. <clears throat> he must have been so despondent. He must have been thinking, come on. Wake up, will you? And yet he comes again on, and he, he prophesies again. Unless you repent now, if, unless you turn around, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to take over you. And I say this is like 600 years uh, before Jesus. Well, of course, they don't change their ways. And sure enough, the Babylonians do come in and they take over Israel. In fact, they end up exiling all the the Israelites, especially the kind of best of the best, the skillful people and everything. They they move them over to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq and Iran. You know, we think around sort of the east there, Middle East and Far East, um, modern-day Iraq. Now, among God's people that get transported um, is this young guy called Daniel. And Daniel is a fascinating guy. He's really interesting because he has a real special gift from God. He's able to hear God speak. And more specifically, he hears God speak through dreams. He's able to interpret dreams. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, at that time, was king of the Babylon. Um, he starts to have these dreams, like prophetic dreams that he starts to have. Now, the problem is he just doesn't understand them. He's like flummoxed by them, and he's actually quite disturbed by this one particular. So he puts a call out to all his religious assembly of leaders. And these are sorcerers, Chaldeans, or uh, astrologers. It says magicians, or magi. Um, oh, that's what all three I've got there. So sorcerers, astrologers, and magicians, or magi. And he says to them, look, guys, you know, I've had this real disturbing dream, and I want you to tell me two things. I want you to, you to tell me what I've dreamt, and secondly, what it actually means. It was like, okay, go. <laughs> you know, like, do it, tell me. Well, and of course, all these religious leaders, they haven't got a clue. They don't know what the dream is. Uh, and the Chaldeans, among them, the astrologers, they come up and they argue their point and say, you know, the king is being pretty unreasonable here. There's no way anyone on earth could you know, understand and tell you what you dreamt, first of all, and then interpret it. It's crazy. So the king's like, okay, I'm going to put you all to death. How's that? <laughs> and, so, and he did. I mean, they was like, but, 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 but. And he's like, no, but. So you, you, and sends somebody to actually go kill them, but. There's a guy called Daniel, hears what's going on, and he stops it. What, what's going on with the king? Why is he so grumpy at the moment? Why is he taking such harsh reactions? Explain what's going on. Well, um, Daniel here, um, and it's found in Daniel 2, uh, 
he hears that these magicians are going to be killed and so on. And he says, I'm going to actually uh, interpret the dream. So the king actually calls Daniel up and, said, and questions him about it. Are you going to do this? He's like, yes, I'll do this. So Daniel goes away and he's like to all his friends, man, we've got to pray. <laughs> pray and ask God, can you come stand with me and pray and uh, ask God to give me the dream, uh, tell me the dream and tell me what it, what it actually meant. And so he did that and uh, he actually goes back to the king and tells him the dream. And he says, he said, you had a vision. In your dream, you had a vision. And it was this human statue, big statue. And it had all these different materials, metals and materials that are making up the different parts of the body. There's four, four materials. And uh, so the top, the gold was, the head was gold. The arms and the shoulders, the chest and, and the arms were silver. The torso was bronze and the legs were iron. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's why I dreamt, you know. So what does it mean? And he said, well, well, there was more than that, wasn't it? Because you also saw a rock. <laughs> We're talking about the rock. This one was scooped out of the mountain. And you saw the rock come in and it kind of smashed into this uh, statue and just smashed it to smithereens. It was just into millions and millions of pieces. And so Daniel explains... God is speaking to you through this, you know. God, Yahweh God is actually speaking to you and he's telling the king there's going to be this succession of empires, these uh, kingdoms, one taking over the other, um, and they're going to rule, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, the Bab- uh, with Babylon here. And he said, but the, you know, then the next uh, kingdom is going to come along and over- overtake them, then the next one, then the next one. He said, but do you know what? The rock is actually God's kingdom. And he's in the process of uh, establishing his own kingdom. And that kingdom is indestructible and it's going to crush all of the other kingdoms. There you go. So (laughs) I was quite surprised in first reading this that actually sharing that, the king actually um, gave great favor to to Daniel. Uh, Daniel excelled into a place of great prominence. Um, in fact, he was appointed the head of the religious assembly. All those uh, advisors, those magicians and sorcerers, he became the overseer of those. There was a time, there was in, um, one of the titles given to Adam was Rabmaj. I think it's, I don't know whether that's pronounced correctly, but Rabmaj, which means the chief of the Magi. He was the chief of the Magi. Now, this is incredibly significant. To have a foreigner, one of another ethnic background, religious background, have authority over another religion, another religious group, another faith, that is bizarre. That's incredible. So here we have Daniel then. He's appointed head over this foreign religious clan, among them being the Magi. But he was hearing from Yahweh God. And he would, have, he would have been one to have been diligently studying all the Hebrew scriptures and all the, the you know, prophecies of old. He would have been fully aware of them. Uh, for example, he would have known about some of the prophecies written by the, the prophet Micah. Micah was uh, from about 100 years prior to him. So it was 700 uh, BC. In actual fact, the, the 
prophecy by Micah is what the Magi were quoting to Herod in our reading this morning. So they were pointing back um, to, to that. He, was, he would have been aware of that um, all, and all the Messianic uh, prophecies. He himself actually prophesied some of the details of the coming Messiah. Um, and who is he in charge of again? The Magi. The religious people, the sorcerers and uh, magicians. And um, so it would seem from historical documents from, and the events that we read that Daniel could have entrusted the messianic visions that were going to be announced in due time through you know, the star <laughs> to this secret sect of Magi people. He kind of carried those stories in. He shared the stories of um, Israel. Well, at this time, the Babylonians, they become overthrown by the incoming Persian Empire, led by a guy called Cyrus. And this is known as the Medo-Persian uh, era. It, it, actually, this guy is Cyrus. He's a good guy. He's quite a, a, a nice, pleasant sort of guy. He seems to have affinity, an affinity with Israel, in fact, it's them coming in. They release the Jews back to their homeland. If they, they say, if you want to go back, you can go back. Um, actually, many of them actually stayed in the region. Now, Cyrus, during his reign, he is known to have perpetuated the religion Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism is what we in the West, it's kind of like um, astrology stargazing stuff you know and reading <coughs> signs from the stars so as we kind of exit this part of the story then we can kind of see this something developing here something forming in the eastern empire how there's this mix of sorcery and magic mixed with jewish prophecies and jewish history jewish stories and then now it's mixed with astrology as well you can't see what's developing here can't you now after these events so that was like two of the four empires. After the events came the Greeks. They invaded and ruled for a while. And then, of course, the Roman Empire came in. Now, what's not actually crystal clear is um, how, during the time from 60, uh, no, sorry, 600 to 100 BC, the Magi go from being just this ruling, uh, religious ruling group, assembly, to a place of having political power as well. They become this community of people who are, have all kinds of political and religious authority and influence. So yeah, much of the literature that writes about them in that kind of those BC periods actually refer to the Magi as kingmakers. I don't know if you've heard that before. They were called kingmakers. So one of their chief roles then what part of their job was to actually point out and announce a new king that's what they did yeah over there and it was kind of some kind of divine right that they had to do that there's a new king and then they would kind of furnish the king with all the laws and the wisdom and it would be the 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 wisdom of the magi that formed the laws for the the king to rule with so they had become really powerful um in terms of political and religious realities and so then when we kind of wind forward now to the time where of our reading the, the time of Jesus' arrival 
you kind of get this idea of how this made Herod feel now. Here comes into his city these kingmakers marching in. And they're coming in from the Eastern Empire. And by the way, there wasn't just three of them, you know, as we often think. We're talking about a whole entourage of people here. These are like people of great influence and, um, and power. Think camels and tents. You know what I'm saying? They probably traveled for like three, four months or more. So this is a big entourage of people. And they're kind of coming into what is constituted as enemy territory. We have to understand, understand that Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, has been at war for quite some time against the Eastern Kingdoms. Uh, we, we have documentation that talk about wars from like 40, 50 BC time. So this whole area is really quite volatile. It's a very unstable um, area. The Roman Empire at the time it encompassed pretty much all of our Western world there, all that orange on that picture um, so all of um, uh, Europe. So yeah, it was like it was like the Western mod- uh, Western world of of its day, if you like. It's all they was aware of. Um, so all of Europe, through Asia Minor, right the way down to Egypt, e- Egypt. And uh, look what the easternmost edge is of the Roman Empire. It's, e- it's Israel. <laughs> That's the easternmost point. Uh, most point. And, and this is what makes this whole thing really quite interesting. The, e- the eastern, these eastern entourage, they're stepping over the line, so to speak, into Roman territory, into a place where they're going to have m- many are uh, scattered throughout Israel, many uh, like military fronts. Gar- uh, they call them garrisons. Is that the word? <laughs> Garrisons across it. And they're kind of protecting that, that edge, um, eastern edge. And in come these magi from the east. They're marching in to enemy territory and they're asking, right, where's the new king then? Herod, understandably, is feeling quite nervous at this point. And he will have seen this purely as a political challenge. This is a political issue here. I mean, what do we know about Herod? Herod, we know he's, uh, from ancient documents, he was a nasty guy. <laughs> a real nasty man. Um, he, although he was installed by Rome as the king of Israel, he was the king of the Jews, he had no interest in the Jewish culture, the Jewish religion, or anything. In fact, he didn't care about anybody. Um, he ruled from a place of tyranny. He was... I mean, he totally leveraged religion for his political gains. And he, he, killed, well, he killed his own family members, I, I think I was reading. And he, he was just nasty. He had, there was nobody, he was never held to account for any of his actions, any of his moral actions in any way, shape or form. So can you imagine living in that time under that, that rule? That's going to be quite, quite tough. And he, Herod, he's basically he's holding all this. He's got no interest in it, really, but he's ruling over it, and he's holding it all by his thread. Um, and in come these guys, and they're the wrong people, <laughs> of the wrong race, of the wrong religion, coming at the wrong time in history. And they're asking, where's this new king of Israel? 
you can kind of see why he feels a bit insecure. And what did he say? He said he gathered all of his chief priests and all his teachers of the law and asked them, so where is this Messiah going to be born? Um, just as if, oh, I'm just interested. I'm curious. I mean, he just wanted to snub it all in, stop it from happening, of course. And then the Magi, they, as I say, they quote from the prophet Micah and they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And they were like, this is happening now, by the way. It's happening now, uh, Herod. The thing is, Herod, he's just so absorbed in his own egotistical political reality. <laughs> you know, he's so arrested and blinded by his fear and anxieties um, relating to what's happened that he didn't actually go to the stage of asking, well, who is this individual? Who is this Messiah King? He asks, where's it all happening? But had he have asked his advisors, well, who is it? And what, tell me the nature of this Messiah. They would have carried on quoting from Micah 5, where he talks quite a lot about the, the Messiah King that's going to come. The prophet Micah, as I say, some 700 years earlier, he prophesies that the Messiah will come. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, but then he says a load of interesting things about him. He says things like he's from eternity past. It's interesting. Uh, in verse 4 of Micah 5, he says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. They, the people, will live securely. Uh, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. You know, Herod. Yeah, he would have discovered that Jesus just wasn't about seizing Herod's um, power, but he was going to overpower the whole world. He's going to rule the whole earth. <laughs> Micah, in his prophecies, he, he goes on, he says, like, you know, you don't have to worry about the people from the east, the Assyrians coming in and invading, um, it, when they come in to try and conquer Israel, because Messiah will protect us. He will protect you. He will deliver you from the Assyrians. So if it had listened to more, if it had asked the right questions, he would have actually been able to take quite a lot of comfort from the prophecies of old. Um, that wasn't <laughs> the way it was. But yeah, I mean, he, he would have like said, oh, what, that, the Messiah, that's what he's going to do for us? We're going to be protected? He would have gone to the, um, the Magi and said, tell you what, I'm coming with you. I want to worship, genuinely worship this, uh, this Messiah King as well. I just want to leave us with a thought. You know, I wonder if today, even in, in our lives, could it be possible that we too could sometimes get um, caught up in our own narrow-minded narrow religious thinking that we become somewhat, I don't know, blinded to the freshness of the activity of God in our life and, and around us. It, you know, in this story, Herod is just so terrified by the fact that these kingmakers are coming in and they're coming from the east, they're kind of like the enemy, and they're showing up with all their own religion, the religious talk and their own king and all this. Life. And he's... 
he's just like, well, he's kind of like the religious elite of his, of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that. And they're all kind of wrapped up in their own racial uh, ideology and religious ideology and so on. Who, who would it take or who could God take, use, <laughs> to shake us from our own absorbed religious narrow thinking? That would prevent us from knowing and experience Jesus afresh again in this Advent period. You know, sometimes we think, actually, that will only be from people around me here. I'm not going to receive something from God or fresh revelation, fresh touch, or just a a fresh fresh touch in my faith with Jesus, uh, an experience of Jesus. That'll only happen with people who are like-minded to me, of the same faith and where I am at. You know, those uh, who have been believers here for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years or so, (laughs) have you ever encountered somebody who's new to the faith? (laughs) For them, it's kind of like, it's all like seeking and discovering something, and it's just alive. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't, I haven't spent enough time pe- around people like that. But when I have in the past, it's some. I mean, that has sometimes ignited something in me. It's woken something up in me when they're like, "Oh, you know, God, God really loves us." You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I've read that many times. No, no, he really loved. He sent his son for us to die for us. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like you know, I think you sound more excited about this than what I do. And but you know, I just that's what I want to get around again. I want to get people who are discovering and experiencing that freshness, and they do something for me. They do something for us. You know, so never should we think. I know, I'm only going to learn or be able to receive from somebody who's like also been walking 30 years with me, 40 years or whatever. You know, look to people who are just new to the faith as well. I mean, just, you never know. They might give you something. God may channel something through them to you, so to speak, that will prevent your own faith from becoming stale and boring. Sometimes it can, if you're not careful. Wouldn't it be amazing if he were, if you know, we were to actually slow down enough from all the craziness, hustle, bustle of the season, so as to actually experience God meeting us afresh, speaking to us afresh through all the wrong messengers again? <laughs> Even somebody outside the sphere of the Christian religion. <laughs> what if God could actually bring His message through a bunch of, well? If he can bring his message from a bunch of magicians and sorcerers and everything, why not through somebody that you work with? Have you ever spoke to somebody that doesn't have a belief, that doesn't have a faith? I mean, it can be, you know, sort of challenging, but actually it can ignite something in you as you're sharing. And so they're kind of like giving, they're doing something in you as well. Somebody at the office, somebody down at the gym. Do you go to the gym? <laughs> I'm always down at the gym. I, I... <laughs> no, no, actually, I've, I went, I've been this year. I've been to the gym like I don't know about twenty times. No, no, it's about 
five times. I haven't been to the gym at all this year. So, um, but, you know, you go down to the gym and meet people and wonder if God could actually speak to you through them and reignite something within you through them. What about the muslin guy that down at the corner shop where you go down and buy your bottle of wine uh, every, every day? And... Uh, I I think God can use anybody and anything to reignite if we'd only stop and look and expect. So that's the question. Are you looking this Advent time? Are you looking? Are you listening? I I hope you are. I certainly am. I'm looking. Because I want want to experience the freshness of God's grace and you know the some newness of what Jesus has done for me in coming into this world that'd be really cool why don't we stand and pray